All right, so we've been working through the story of Lazarus, this guy Jesus is going to raise from the dead, this guy, his friend, his buddy, someone that he loves. And, 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 and Jesus tells that when he gets word that Lazarus is sick and he tells the boys, hey, listen, we're just going to hang here for a few more days. And then he says, yeah, you know, Lazarus is sleeping. I'm going to wake him up. There's some confusion. The guys are like, well, if he's sleeping, he's getting better. No, he's dead. And then he says, and I'm glad he's dead for your benefits because this whole thing somehow is going to glorify God. This is going to glorify Jesus and it's going to instill faith and belief in the disciples. So there's this very traumatic thing that's happening that Jesus will turn and use for good, for, for the good of his disciples and for the good and the glory of God. So John chapter 11, I'm going to pick it up in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead, had been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So we see that Jesus finally gets there after hanging out where he was for a couple days. And Lazarus has been dead for four days. It's not a surprise to him. He called it. In fact, he said, all right, Lazarus is dead. Let's go see him. He, he waited. Jesus was very intentional about waiting. And But he tells the boys that this is not the end of the story. This is not the end for Lazarus. And so he gets there. He's in the tomb for four days. And so you have to ask yourself, why is this day, four days mentioned? Is there something significant about being in the tomb for four days? Now, we have to remember, during Jesus' day, the stethoscope is a few years away from being invented. So there's no real medical way to tell if somebody is really dead. There's no heart monitors. There's no machines to actually 100% make the call that somebody has died. The only real way to tell somebody is dead is when their body starts to decompose. Then you kind of know things have gone south and they are, they have died. In some cultures, in some cultures during this time, they would not bury you until your body started to decompose, just to make sure, because sometimes you can slip into a coma. I'm sure they didn't call it a coma back then. You can slip into a state of almost being dead, almost seem like you're dead, but you're really not dead. And I'm sure that if they were waiting, the decomposition would begin. That means they probably have buried a few people alive. So they wanted to avoid that, but not for the Jewish people. The Jewish people would bury uh, th those that have died very quickly. And Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts drop dead. They take them out. They bury them really quick. So for the Jewish people, they put them in the grave right after they die. Now, why four days? What was Jesus' point of getting there for four days? The tomb, the, the tomb would have been some type of cave-like thing. There would have been a big boulder rolled across it to keep people out, to keep the dead in, I guess. And so they don't want, I mean, it's sealed. The grave is sealed. What is there about this four days of being dead? Why does John mention it? Well, I will tell you. It's a good question. In the Jewish tradition, it's believed, it was believed that the soul hangs around the grave for about three days after the body dies. 
And what the soul wants to do, it hangs around and it's looking to get back into the body in hopes that it could re- reanimate the body, in hopes that it, could, that it could live again. But after three days, the body starts to decompose. It starts to deteriorate. In fact, this is when the face will begin to become unrecognizable. The Talmud teaches that you cannot identify a dead person after the fourth day because you can't tell who it is because the face becomes unrecognizable. And so as the soul is there and begins to see the body decompose after the third day into the fourth day, the soul no longer knows who that body belongs to because of the decomposition that's taking place and the soul leaves. And at that point on the fourth day, there's absolutely no hope of this person coming back to life. There is no hope that they will live again. This person that has died is dead. The fourth day is the day of hopelessness. And if Jesus came and he raised Lazarus before that day four, people would have just thought it was a coincidence. People would have just thought that this was the soul reuniting with the body and this person just has has woken up and there would be no glory to God. They would not have seen it as Jesus doing any type of miracle. It's just what happens. The soul was hanging around. Oh, it snuck its way back in on the second day, maybe the third day, just under the wire and no miracle. But Jesus wants to make sure that God gets the glory, that the Son is glorified, and his disciples will know who he is. And so by the time he gets there, day four, Lazarus in the grave, there's only one option, and that option is divine intervention. The the hopelessness that once was with Jesus there, all hope is not lost. And so the story says that they're two miles from Jerusalem and there's lots of people with them, friends and family all gathered around. And this is not just a casual stopping in to see how you are doing. This is people coming to your home and staying for an extended period of time. In the Jewish tradition today, they call it sitting shiva. And it's when family and friends, they come alongside you and they grieve. They enter your pain. They enter your loss. They come alongside and they cry with you. They sit with you. They do things for you. This is a time when you are literally not left alone for for a time of mourning. And so this is what's happening here with, with Martha and with Mary. Their friends, their family, they are with them. There's usually a lot of people with them. Some scholars would break down the mourning process as to the first three days of when someone dies, it's, it's a time of weeping. And then the next four days are just a time of deep, deep lamenting. Because remember, on the fourth day, there's no hope. The person is dead. And so that's the time when it really sinks in. And then, then the rest of the the uh, 30-day mourning period would be just a time of, of light mourning, of, of just kind of remembering and telling stories. Or the Talmud would teach three days of weeping, seven days of lamenting, and the rest of the time you would not cut your hair, you would not shave your beard, you would not press your clothes because you want to focus on the person who has died and not on your own self. In fact, if you walk into a Jewish home that is that is um, that is experiencing, or I don't know if celebrating is the right word, but observing Shiva, they actually hang something over the mirrors. So, so you're, not, you're not involved in, in your own looking at yourself and looking how nice you look or anything like that. It's all about this time of weeping and mourning and entering it in. So this ritual, this extended period of, of friends and family coming alongside Martha and Mary, it's considered a very, very important 
cultural tradition for the Jewish people. It's not taken lightly. As in most cases, death is not taken lightly in in almost all cultures. But we all have a certain way that we move through the grieving process, a certain way that culturally we engage death and we mourn death and we heal from death. And so too it is with the Jewish people. So as Jesus gets there, four days in, all these people around, somehow word must have gotten to Martha that Jesus is here. And, and she runs out and she's going to meet him. But Mary, the younger sister, stays at home. Martha, the, the bulk of the responsibility for what is taking place at her home would fall on her shoulders. She is the eldest. And for whatever reason, she has held it together enough to make sure that she could perform the responsibilities that she has. And so she goes out and she's going to meet Jesus as she would have met many, many guests that she would be inviting into her home. And she says to Jesus, man, you know, if you were here, my brother, he wouldn't have died. And this, this statement from her, it's not her being disappointed in him, in Jesus. It's not her rebuking him or being angry with him. What she's actually saying, she's, she's, she's a woman of faith. This is, this is a statement of faith. Her words are more of words of, of regret, like, if you were here, my brother, my brother wouldn't have died. She doesn't show anger, disappointment. She shows faith, faith in the face of a very great and personal loss for her. And then her words, she says, you know, I, I, know, I know that God would give you anything that you ask for. I don't believe that she is thinking along the lines of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Because even she questions it when he gets to the tomb and says, he goes, roll, roll the stone away. And she's like, yeah, it's going to stink. I mean, he's been in there for a long time. So, so she has some doubt. But it's, it's more of, this, of, of her faith of knowing that, that Jesus walks in harmony and unity with God. And if he were to ask, if, if he happened to be there when he was sick, and if he would have asked, God would have given whatever Jesus asked for. And that whatever in, in, the, in the text is this, this very general term that she knows the relationship Jesus has with the Father. And that if he asks something of the Father, the Father gives, the Father grants what Jesus asks for. She is a woman of faith. She is a woman who recognizes who Jesus is, even, even in the face of great personal loss. But Jesus is going to get a hold of this conversation. He's going to start to move it in the direction that he wants it to go in. He's going to turn the dialogue to the resurrection. He tells her, your brother, your brother will rise again. Now, coming from anybody else but the Son of God, this is just, this is just a common consolation that would be offered to somebody who lost somebody. It's kind of for us to say that, you know, you'll, you'll see them in heaven again, or, or this isn't the end. You'll be reunited at one point. This, is, this was taken as a very common cultural words of hope that you would give someone who had just lost somebody that they loved, because Martha has no real idea of what Jesus is about to do. But these words weren't spoken by just a common, everyday person. These words were spoken by the Son of God, but she receives them as just the way to feel, to be comforted. And she says, I know, I know I'll see him again. 
I'll see him at the, at the last resurrection, at the last day when, when we're all raised again from the dead. But her faith and her words have opened a door for Jesus to teach something very deep and very spiritual about himself. This woman of faith has opened the door for Jesus to reveal something about himself to her and ultimately to us. The next slide, Wes. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever dies by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus makes another one of his I am statements, pulling from Exodus 3 when God tells Moses, just tell him I am who I am. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say, I will perform a resurrection here. I will give you life. No, he says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Now, there's a few things that we have to understand that are going on here. Yes, Jesus will bring, Jesus gives eternal life to those who will believe. We possess eternal life. It is a gift from God. Death will not touch us, at least not eternal death, at least not spiritual death. It has no grip on those who follow Jesus. Physical death, though, is not the point here. This is not the important thing. We believe we will not die. And yes, for those, for those who don't believe in Jesus, for those who reject him, there will be not only physical death, there will also be spiritual death. There will be eternal separation from the glory of God for eternal, forever, for whatever that means to us in our limited understanding of eternal, which, believe me, we have no understanding of what eternal actually means, but it is forever separated from God. We would call that hell. It's a place of no life. But those who die in Christ, they pass through this door of physical death into eternal life. This is the promise that Jesus is making. This is what he is saying here. We don't die in the full sense of death. In fact, death, physical death, when our bodies die, it's, it's kind of like this gateway that opens the door for us to be in a deeper, more intimate relationship with the King of Kings, the creator of all things. And this is, this is kind of different from what the, the leaders of Jesus' day teach. First of all, the Pharisees, they believed in the resurrection, but Jesus is saying, no, I am the resurrection. I am the life. You have to believe in me, and then you will rise again. And the Pharisees are thinking, no, 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 See, you, don't, you don't get it. You're a heretic, and there is one final resurrection at the end. That's when it all goes down. And the Sadducees, the other religious elite, they didn't even believe there was a resurrection. And so Jesus is pushing against the normal religion of the day, teaching something very, very different from what these people have used to been hearing. You have been used to hearing, right? I'm sorry, it's hot up here. That he is the re resurrection. He is the life. For us, the moment that we believe, the moment that we trust in Jesus, when, the moment we make that conscious decision to follow we begin to experience life. We begin to experience eternal life. You see, Jesus gives life for, for here and for now. And this is, something, this is not something new. We've talked about this over and over again, that eternal life begins right now. 
Jesus wants abundant life, passionate life right now, just not some future thing that we hope to get when we die. Jesus wants us to live with passion and vitality and just like, I want to get out of bed in the morning, not I have to get out of bed in the morning. That's not what he wants for us. And so we begin to experience eternal life now, a deeper life, a life that has meaning, purpose, passion, and vitality. What Jesus is offering and explaining to Martha and her family is not some event out in the future, but it's something that we who believe can experience right now. She can experience that life right then, right there. I believe that she has begun to experience that because she has an understanding of who Jesus is. She's a woman of faith. She knows his relationship to the Father and the Father's relationship to Jesus. She knows that whatever he asks, the Father will do. Can you imagine walking in that authority that whatever you ask God, he does? Whoa! Talk about a TV ministry you can have, huh? Ripping off little prayer rags. Here you go. And I'm, I'm just like that. I digress. So, <laughs> so you know, as, as, as I was kind of meditating on the story, I've, I've, I've read all of, I mean, I taught this story years ago. I'm sure Amy can attest to that because she remembers every sermon, unlike most of you. Anyway, so, and, 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 I, and I've taught, you know, it's, you know, God, Jesus, he wants us to believe in him. He wants us to have faith that, that he's going to handle, that he's got our back. And, and so I was just kind of just, mulling this over and meditating on this story. And I keep coming back to resurrection and life, resurrection and life. And I was like, God, what, what, is, it, what is it that you want me to understand here? What is it? Something new. I mean, I, I know all the other stuff. I, I get that. You know, I'm trying to live that. But, but what is it that's that, that you want to birth in me that I could just, just maybe help and birth in our church? And so I came to this basic understanding. In order to have a resurrection, you have to have a death. Lazarus could not be raised from the dead unless he died. Jesus could not be raised from the dead unless he died. And so Jesus dies. There's a death. He's in the grave. By the power of the Father, he is raised on the third day, and he's raised into this this new life. He conquers death once and for all. And this is the life that Jesus offer us, offers us. Passion, full, passionate, living on the edge, yeehaw life. In the Greek, it's zoe. We go over that word over and over. So many times I've used that word. It's, it's vitality. It's just that ugh, desire in your heart to live. To do the thing. Are you okay? Anybody fall? Okay, good. Desire in your heart to live. And so we, we've been called to a new life. In fact, on the 25th, when we celebrate the baptism, we say the words, buried with Christ, died with Christ, and raised again to new life. And it's, it's the symbolism of, of us joining Christ in his death, joining him in his resurrection, that we would be raised again to new life. And, there, and there's something happens that, that when, when that, that time of justification happens and we, we follow, we understand, and we accept who Jesus is there, is, there is this thing of new life. But, but I believe it goes deeper than that. That new life has to be something that's continually part of our faith journey. That we would continually look into ourselves and, and see those things that, that are not in harmony, with, are in harmony with, with what God would have for us, that we would dig deep 
to look at the junk and the, and the stupid things that we just hold on to, the things that separate us from the harmonies that God has called us to, because without death, there is no resurrection. And without the resurrection, there is no life. And so we are called to, to look and to just, just kill those things off in us that separate us from God, the selfishness that's in us. The Bible calls it dying to self or dying to yourself. And this should be a continual process. You should be continually looking into your life, looking for those things that, that, that you know God doesn't want there, and working on just killing them off so that you can die, so that you can be resurrected, and so that the living God can breathe new life into that part of your life. And this, this needs to be an every, it should be an everyday thing for us. God, what is it? What is it? But, and there's always a but, isn't there? I mean, there's always, there's, there's, well, maybe not always, but this time there's a but. Can we really put anything to death ourselves? I mean, for real. I mean, we can't even... Do we really think that we can get a hold of the things that control us, to the vices and the addictions that we have? Do we really think that we have a handle on our junk and on our brokenness, that we can actually say, oh, you know, I got, like George Lopez, I got this. Do we really think that we can handle those things on our own? I have two words for you. Wes, can you put them up there, please? Oh, please. Don't kid yourself. We can't even get the basic 10 down. We can't even follow the 10 commandments. You know, keep holy God's day. And I know that, that for some it's, it's, it's about a day, but we can't even enter into the rest of God and focus on Him. And let me tell you, using the Lord's name in vain is not going, oh my God, when you stub your toe. Okay, we use the Lord's name in vain. We take it out of the holiness that it was meant to be even when we pray because we don't even know how to pray. And, and don't, don't, or, or how, about, how about this one? Honor your parents. Please. Sorry, Mike. And so we're all children though. And we all have parents. And do we honor them? And don't, don't covet. Have you seen the new iPhone? Guilty. I'm there, man. I can't even keep that one. And don't murder. Okay, maybe, maybe don't murder. Maybe y'all got... But look, remember what Jesus taught about don't murder. If you call somebody a fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. That means some of you on your way to church this morning are in danger of the fires of hell. And some of you, when you leave here, you're going to be in that same danger because it's the holiday weekend. There's going to be lots of traffic. I thought fool a few times on my last night. I was leaving Wallingford, bumper to bumper. I'm like, look at this fool. What am I preaching on tomorrow? So, so we can't even keep the... I mean, do we really think that we can, we can kill or, or die or, or, or just, just muster up this willpower to die to self that we can handle it? Wes, can you put it up the other side? Oh, please. Don't kid yourself. We can't do, if we can't keep the basics, how are we going to die to ourselves? So, here's my idea. Here's what I want to share with you. Jesus did not kill himself. Now, some would say that the Jewish leaders had Jesus killed. Some would say Rome 
Rome had Jesus killed. No one would take Jesus' life. No one. He gave his life freely. Jesus put himself in a position of obedience to allow God to do the work in him that, he, that God wanted to do with, to, through him and in him. He put himself in the position so that God could ultimately send him to the cross. He put himself in the position so God could kill Jesus. Now that is obedience. Jesus opened himself to a very deep and intimate relationship to the Father and allowed the Father into his life that would lead him to the cross in his own death. And that death would lead him to the grave, but that grave would not hold him. He would rise again. He would be raised on the third day and into life. But, but Jesus didn't kill himself. Jesus was obedient and allowed God to do the work in his life that would send him to the cross. And through that death came the resurrection. And through that resurrection had come new life. And so my question to you this morning is, what is it in your life? What are the things in your life that God needs to kill off in you? What are those things that you are holding on to that you know that are just out of the harmony that God has called you to walk in and that he just wants to get rid of? What are those things that God wants to kill off in you? Not to ruin you, not to make you lesser of a person, but that you can be raised again and experience new life, that you would experience freedom, that you would walk in the spirit and walk in the anointing that God desperately wants for you. What are those things? Is it your pride? Is it greed? Is it that addiction? Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it your desire to just hold tight to everything God's given you because it's mine? Is it materialism? What is it that God wants, that, that God needs to get inside of your heart and kill off so that you can experience, that you can experience, that you can experience life? Because you can't do it on your own. Even Jesus was obedient to the Father and the Father sent him to the cross. Are you worshiping the created and not the creator? What is it? We all have something. We all have our junk. We all have our brokenness. We all have those things that God needs to kill off. His desire is that you would experience the power, the power of the resurrection. That you would experience life in abundance. But you have to come to the point of just throwing up your arms and going, I give up. I surrender. I cannot do this anymore. And that opens the door for God to get in and start cutting and start whittling and start killing off those things that are not of him. And you know what? It might hurt. The cross was one of the most painful ways to die. And it wasn't our sin that held in there as the song sings. It was his love for us that held Jesus to the cross and he experienced it so we can have life. But God wants to continually work in our lives and, and just kill those things off so that we can experience life in abundance. 
that we would experience freedom. You know, so, so often when we, when we spread our arms, even, even in worship, it's, it's an act of surrender. It's, it's an act of just, of just understanding of the relationship that we have to the Father. But notice the way my arms are in this act of surrender. It's the way that Jesus was nailed to the cross and the ultimate act of humility and surrender that he just gave God everything, including his life. But that would not be the end of the story. And it's not the end of our story that we, when we open our arms and surrender and say, God, I cannot do this anymore. I need you to get in there and kill this. His promise is that you will rise from that. And his promise is you will rise to new life. That's his promise. You can bank on that. You can rest and set your life to that. He is worthy. He will keep his word. And you will not have to walk hanging your head any longer. But you can walk with your head held high in the authority that has been given to you, in the forgiveness that has been given to you, in the restoration that's been given to you, in the reconciliation that's been given to you. Whatever it is that you need God to kill, today begin that dialogue. Today, that's our communion meditation, that you would begin to think over those things that you know do not honor God in your life. The things that you have been wrestling with that, 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 that have been just chaining you down, that you know God wants to free you from, but for whatever reason, you've held on to them. I heard one pastor once speak about that the, the enemy, he puts handcuffs on us, but they're, they're made of gold and they look, so, they look so pretty, but they're still handcuffs and they still keep us in bondage. Today is the day that God wants to break those chains and that you would rise to new life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. But, but, but we got to just, we have to surrender that to God and ask him to come in, kill that thing off so that we can experience life.